0: This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to His disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, Control Your Thoughts, and it comes from 2 Samuel 11, 1-27. But before we start our lesson today, talking could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song is ever played, there's utility bills, and time rental fees, and maintenance, and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax deductible gifts. So, won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601 483 8648. There, they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or for managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Also, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio RadioBibleClass.Podbean.com or catch us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether that's iTunes, whether that's Spotify, whether that's Amazon or Google. Wherever you listen to your podcast, we're there too. Just search for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. So we've been studying about David and him being king. That's really what all 2 Samuel is about, is him rising to be a king. And we saw in chapter 5 through chapter 10 that David rises to the pinnacle of his reign. God has been blessing David since he was a young boy. And he's now raised him up to be the king, the chosen king over God's chosen people, Israel. Last week in chapter 10, we saw how David went to battle against the Ammonites after they disgraced his entourage that he sent to him, how King Hanun disgraced the people that David sent. But we're going to see today while David's men are battling the Ammonites that he has this dreadful sin with Bathsheba. And even as bad as this sin is, we can learn from it. We'll see that next week that when we fall and we see David make a critical mistake and a shocking account of how he sins with Bathsheba, how it brings him down for a short period of time. But we see God's mercy and his grace, even though there is some judgment from this. And for those that are listening to me, you're just like me. We've all fallen, just like David did. And so we can learn from this lesson here. And that's what I want us to see today, that sin starts with a thought. And we have to control our thoughts. Before we ever take an action, a thought enters our mind. And what we do with that thought is what matters. Also, I want to challenge Those of you that grew up going to Sunday school that's been in church for some time, you know about this story and sometimes it's easy to tune it out. But I want you to listen closely because there are some nuggets in here that is for everyone. Whether this is the first time you've ever heard about what King David did or if this is your hundredth time, there's still nuggets in here that we can learn from. So with that said, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We'll start in verse 1. I'm reading out of the ESV. In the spring of the year, the time when kings would go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch, and as he was walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uri the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. We'll stop there for now. First thing I want you to understand as we dive into this is that there are good thoughts and bad thoughts, but everyone has both that run through their mind. That is the way the mind works. Some of you are holier than I am and you don't have trouble with your thoughts. But I do. Thoughts pop into my mind sometimes without permission faster than a mosquito can bite my skin. We all have thoughts and they all pop into our mind. When I was studying philosophy in college I remember studying about a man that stated I think therefore I am. This is what is taught in modern philosophy and it is a characteristic of all humans. The fact that you and I can think, that we can reflect on the past, that we can imagine what could be done in the future, it gives us our differentiation and it distinguishes us from all other animals in the world. Unfortunately though, because that we can think and we can reflect and we can regret the past and we can imagine and fear the future, it also is our biggest curse that we have as we walk on this earth. I mean, if I was to net it out, it means that thoughts can be our best friend or they can be our worst enemy. That there are good thoughts and there are bad thoughts. But what we need to understand about good thoughts and bad thoughts is they make up our worldview. And what we allow into our mind is how we have and we form that worldview. And the Bible teaches us in Psalms 119, tells us, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What the Bible's telling us there is that when we take God's word and we hide it in our heart, when we hide it in our mind, then we won't sin against God because he will bring that back to remembrance. If you go back and read about what Joshua taught us, that the book of the law shouldn't depart our mouth, but that we should meditate on day and night that we would observe and do according to all that is written in it. So if I was to summarize, what I'd like for you to walk away with today is that we need to control our thoughts. We need to observe our thoughts. We don't necessarily judge them, but we observe them. I can tell you about times that thoughts have jumped into my mind where I was being judgmental about a colleague, about the work they were doing, and instantly I went into judgment mode. I found fault in myself. I was getting onto myself. I was thinking negatively because I was having thoughts that really stunk. They were thoughts that I didn't like to have. But when we understand that we have good thoughts and bad thoughts, we have good thinking and bad thinking, we have thoughts that smell good and thoughts that stink, then we can start to understand that we need to control those thoughts. And that's important because what we do with our thoughts is what makes it right or wrong. You and I can't control what goes into our mind necessarily. We can try to affect it by limiting what we allow in But there are things that are going to come in good and bad. Martin Luther said you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but what you can do is prevent it from building a nest in your hair. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that if you can recognize when you begin to think thoughts that stink, then you can take some action to change your thought. For example, let's say that you have an argument with your wife. Things are really heated up. I mean, you're going after one another, just yelling at one another, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and you reach over and you grab the phone, and how do you answer that? Most time you stop, you change the tone, and you answer it. And if you can do that, then we can stop and change, with the help of the Lord and the Holy Spirit, the thoughts that we act on. And so there are good thoughts and bad thoughts, and we need to learn to control our thoughts. And now the second thing I want you to understand, and we're going to look at the text now, is that sin starts with a thought. We're going to see that David started his sin before he ever acted on it. It was the thought that he decided to act on that created the sin. Now that starts out that it was the spring of the year and they returned to battle. Unlike today where we have technology where weather doesn't affect us going to battle, back in those days and this time, there was a season when they would go out. The rain season was over. The crops had been planted. you know The roads were suitable now for travel. And this was the time when kings would go out. But I want you to notice that it points out that David did not go out. He stayed in Jerusalem and he sent Joab together with his commanders and officers and all of Israel out, but he didn't go. A lot of commentators say this idleness is one of the reasons why David falls down. But I think it happened even before the idleness. See, David is at the pinnacle of where he's supposed to be as a king. He's conquered all of his enemies. We studied that in chapters 5 through 10. He subdued them. And so now he's getting the opportunity to be king and just really relax and enjoy it. And so I think David decided that he would just enjoy being king for a little while. He had people now that could go do what he used to lead and do. It is almost a pride in his heart. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but it is his idleness. It was him sitting on his laurels, not leaving to go to battle, which gave the opportunity for temptation. Some commentators even go as far to say that David had begun to see himself as important, and he got his eyes focused on him and his importance, and that if he went to battle and die, who would lead the nation of Israel? And so he stayed idle. The other thing I'll point out real quick is look at who they're battling. They're battling the Ammonites. These are the same folks that humiliated David's entourage in chapter 10. In chapter 10, we saw them stop battling the Ammonites because the Ammonites retreated home. As a matter of fact, if you turn back one chapter to verse 14, chapter 10, verse 14, it says, And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled... They likewise fled before Abashi and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. So the Ammonites fled back. Now the Syrians we saw after that doubled down. They went and got more people and they came and they battled. But the Ammonites kind of retreat to the city. And so now David is going back. He sent his men to fight the Ammonites to finish this battle for what they did to his entourage. And David's not there. But we saw in chapter 10 when he goes back and battles the Syrians the second time, this led by David. So we know David did go to battle, but here we see his idleness, and look what happens to him in verse 2. It says that in the eve of the day, so it's not nighttime yet, or he wouldn't have been able to see Bathsheba, but he's gotten up out of bed from his afternoon nap, which again shows us that idleness that he has. He's bored, he's walking around. And as he looks over the rooftop, he sees this beautiful woman. The temptation strikes. Also understand that his palace was on the highest point in Jerusalem, so he can see down on any house. He has the highest point in the city of Jerusalem, so he's glancing down amongst all the houses, and his eyes stopped when he saw this woman bathing on her deck. And here's the temptation. His eyes see this woman, but instead of controlling his thoughts, instead of watching and keeping from what goes into his mind, being observant of what's going on in his mind, he stays focused on her physical beauty. What started as an accidental glance now becomes an act of sin because he's now focused on her. And to make things worse, David knew better than this. David knew back in that time to look at a woman's nakedness was a great sin. Even if you were married to a woman, to look at her nakedness was a sin. To look at a woman you're not married to was a great sin. But we see that David, who's bored and looking for something, focuses in. He focuses in on this woman's very beautiful body. And as he does that, as he's captured, he forgets about all the truths that he stored in his heart and in his mind of God's commandments. And so he decides to take action. We see in verse 3 that he inquires about this woman. And someone, this is an important thing, someone says, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? This someone is saying, This is a married woman, David. Why would you do this? Listen to what Solomon was inspired to write in Proverbs 27, 5. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. This someone that's not named rebukes David. He says, hey man, this is someone's wife. Why would you do this? And what you and I need to learn is that it's important that we stand up and we say something when we're with a friend that's about to sin. Let me ask you, are you that someone that steps up? Think what would have happened. The trajectory of this story would have changed if David had just listened to the man that said, hey, this is someone's wife, someone that is part of your mighty men. But sadly, David doesn't listen to it. David doesn't respond to it. He moves on, and we see that in verse 4 and 5. In verse 4, we see that he sent messenger, and they took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. David is no longer operating in a godly mode. He's operating in his flesh. His lust has been aroused. And he deliberately now is going to feed them. He's been warned by someone that this is another man's wife and you're about to do something that will destroy you. Back in those days, if you had an adulterous affair, you could be stoned to death. But David is deliberately intending to do what he knew what was wrong. To engage in adultery with the wife of a loyal subject and a friend of his. David had a problem with women, we see that, but at least he knew that he married them first before that he had relationships with them. We've talked about this before, it's very clear in the Bible that it's one man, one woman. David had multiple wives and that is a sin before God itself, but at least he married them before he had the relationship. Here he gets everything out of order and he's acting on his flesh and his lust and he's sinning before God without even thinking about it anymore. The other thing I want to point out in verse 4, though, it's intentional that it says that she was cleansed from her her impurity. That is making sure that we understand that she was not pregnant before David took and committed adultery with her, before he defiled her. Now, I don't want to let Bathsheba off because I'm coming down on David pretty hard, and we don't see anywhere in the scripture that she fought back, she willingly went, and she laid with him. But he was a king, and he knew better And so we see the consequence of sin. We see that in verse 5, the consequence of sin, and the woman conceived, and so she sent and told David that, I am with child. After David had his one-night stand with this woman, he sent her home. But unfortunately, there was a consequence for his act of sin. David thought to himself he had got away with this. David said, this act no one will know about. It can be forgotten. It's just a one-night stand but she becomes pregnant, which is now going to cause a scandal. In his haste and lust, he never thought about the consequence. Everyone's heard the quote, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Now, his sin has cost him more than he wants to pay. It's got him where he doesn't want to be. He now has a problem that he had not foreseen or thought about. Because she's become pregnant, he can no longer just overlook or forget about what he did. There's going to be repercussions. Her husband is going to come home and he's going to ask questions. Because David was king, more than likely Uriah would not be able to have him put to death. But he could divorce his wife because of this. He could have her put to death. David understood the consequences that he's created. Even though nothing directly would probably happen to him, he would lose all respect by the men who protected him. He would lose respect of his mighty men, which Uriah was one of. And what we can learn from this is that every time we sin, there is a consequence. Some are worse than others, but even when God forgives us of our sin, even when we see that God will forgive David of this sin, there is a consequence that's tied to it. Because of his one-night stand, there is a child that is now coming into play. There is a pregnancy that would have never happened if he had never sinned. Sin has consequences. So we've looked at three points so far, good and bad thoughts. We've looked at sin starts with a thought. David looked on her, and then he decided to keep looking. It was an accidental glance, but now he's began, and lust takes over. And now we see that he acted on that thought, which created an outward sin, and that sin had a consequence. And what he should do is confess his sin but that's not what he does the bible teaches us to confess your sins don't cover it up once again david doesn't do what he knows he's supposed to do he's going to cover up his consequence or so he thinks so he sends for uriah he says send uriah to me we see that in verse 6 and we see in verse 7 that uriah comes to david and doing exactly what joab told him to do when he comes to david david asks him how's the war going it looks like he asked for him to come to give him a report on the battle. What he really wanted to do was to come and lay with his wife so that he could blame the the pregnancy on him. But Uriah doesn't do that. David sends him in verse 8 to his house. He says, go to your house and wash your feet. But Uriah, being a man of integrity, won't do that. In verse 9, we see that he sleeps at the door of the king's house. The people come back to David in verse 10. They say, well, he didn't go to his house. He slept at your doorstep. And so David calls Uriah back and says, why did you come from this long journey and you won't go to your house? And we see Uriah's commitment and his integrity in verse 11 where he says, The Ark of the Covenant's in a tent. My Lord Joab is in a tent. All the servants are in tents. Why should I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? I will not do this thing. Wow, what a slap in the face. Uriah's reply should have just struck David's conscience. Should have made him feel ultimately guilty. So David only has one other idea. And we see that in verse 12. He tells Uriah to stay. Stay here today and tomorrow and then I'll let you depart. David has another plan. He's going to get Uriah drunk. And then he'll forget about his integrity and he'll go lay with his wife. And we see all that in verse 13 where David has him eat and drink with him. He gets him drunk, but he won't go to his house. He lays again at the door of the king's house. And so David, on the morning next... Writes a letter to Joab and says, have him killed. David is running out of time to cover up his sin, to cover up the consequence. The only way to do it now is to have him killed, and then he can marry her. So now David commits a second sin on top of this one, trying to cover it up. He commits murder. He writes in the letter, send Uriah to the forefront of the hottest battle, and then retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. He knows Joab will do this because Joab is his nephew. And in verse 16 and 17, we see that Joab takes him. He puts Uriah on the front line. They're battling and then they move back and Uriah falls. Just stop and think about this for a minute. This is a man that was described as a man after God's own heart. And this shows you how far sin can take a person. You almost see a callous heart in David. We'll see that that callousness falls off. But here we see the callousness of David as he has him murdered. David has gotten to the part and he's convinced himself with some bad thinking that no one will ever know. I'll get away with this. But we know Joab will know. Joab knows that he was told to have him killed and his servants will know. The servants that went and got Bathsheba and brought, once all this unfolds, they'll know as well. There will always be people that know about your sin, even though you think you got away with it. And in verses 18 through 23, we see that Joab sends a messenger back. And Joab, I think, sends us back because he wants David to understand that, yes, I took care of what you told me to do. I had Uriah killed, but also archers from the wall killed some of your men also. And I want you to see David's heart and the state of his heart. Because in verse 25, I want to read that to you real quick. David said to the messenger, Thus shall you say to Joab, do not let this matter displease you, for the sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it, and encourage him. Instead of being saddened that he lost men in battle, he says, that's just the cost of going to war, that we're going to lose lives. And this statement comes from a man who's always in the past had a great concern and respect for his men. Yet he says right here, don't worry about it, What needed to be done has been accomplished. Now go finish the battle. David feels satisfied now. His secret sin was now quietly covered up and no one would ever know the truth. He could go now marry Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. He could adopt the child. No one would ever guess that this was his child. After all, he was only doing what other kings did all the time. And that thought just shows that he is falling into a backslidden state, that he's doing what the world did. How many times do we justify our sin because other people do it? And this is just what people do. But we are Christians. We're called to be separated from this world. And we see David right here is just acting and he considers what he's done, just what other kings would do. I challenge you today, are you satisfied with just being like the world? And if your answer is yes, then you need to renew your walk with the Lord. And if your answer is no, you need to confess your sin instead of covering it up like David did. And then we see in verse 26 that Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, heard about her husband dying, and she mourned for her husband like she should mourn. And then I want to read verse 27 as we get ready to wrap this up. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. I want to read the last sentence again in verse 27. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. My final point for this lesson today, point number five, is this, that there is disapproval of sin. God always disapproves sin. God will never accept sin. David had a perfect story. She became pregnant before they went to war. Once Uriah died at war, he did the right thing. He married her so she wouldn't be a widow. And then they had a child and he adopted the son. Everyone thought that David did a good thing, but there was one that knew the story. If nobody else knew, there was one that knew. God knew what David had done and what David did displeased the Lord. We need to understand that even when we can get away with sin, when we think that no one will ever know, I'm in another city, I'm more than 90 miles away. No one will ever know. Understand God knows and he is displeased by the action. I'm out of time. So let me close with this final thought. We need to take to heart the words that what David did displeased the Lord. You and I are David. We're just like David. We may not have committed adultery like David did in this story. But we're just like David in that we sin and we need to confess our sin. David had lost the fight in his life. My question to you, are you in the fight? Or are you like David and just giving yourself over? David just gave himself over to sin instead of fighting and being in the fight with his men. Some Christians, even though they have the Lord as their strength, they forget who they are in Christ and they don't even enter the fight. Instead of fighting, they just let life control them. The other thing we need to realize is David was a man after God's own heart. And if a man after God's own heart can fall into sin as deeply as David did, you and I need to be on guard. We need to observe the thoughts that come into our mind. We need to be aware that at any time we can fall into sin and fall just as deep as David did. And if you're listening to me today and you've fallen into sin, there's good news. The good news is, is that there is a cure for sin. And we find that in the gospel, that God's promised that David's kingdom would be established forever. We saw that in 2 Samuel 7, I pointed that out. There's good news for you and I because we are like David. David's sin was great, just as our sin is great. However, Jesus' obedience that he went to the cross for his death covers the penalty of our sin, just like it would for David and just like it does for us. And as we'll see, David repented of this sin, He thinks he's got away with it, but he will repent of it. And you and I have to repent of our sin. When we have to ask God for forgiveness, we have to confess our sin. And when we do, he is just and faithful to forgive us. I would say if you have sin in your life, turn to him. Turn to him now and repent of your sin today. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for this time together. Lord, I ask right now that you would just let us understand that David was a man after your own heart. Lord, he was someone that wanted to be in a walk with you every day, but David got into a backslidden point in time in his life. David became complacent. David became comfortable. And Lord, when we become comfortable, that's when the devil shows up and he takes us out. And this is a prime example that we're just like David. We may not have committed adultery like David does in this story, but Lord, we all are tempted. We need to control our thoughts. Lord, let us understand that our sin begins when we act on that thought. And Lord, that we would just ask for forgiveness. We wouldn't try to cover it up. And just like all the other times when we cover something up, when we cover up a lie or whatever, it just has to grow and grow. And we see this example right here. Lord, I pray for the one today that's shown up that needs to confess some sin. They think they got away with it. But Lord, you know, just like you knew, even though David thought he got away with it. Lord, I pray today they will confess their sins to you. Lord, I confess my sins right now. Lord, I pray that you will just show your grace again. Lord, right now I pray for the one that doesn't know you at all, that's never turned to you. Lord, I pray today that they would repent of their sins. Lord, they will understand that they need you as Lord and Savior of their life. They'll believe on your finished work on the cross, and they'll ask you to be Lord of their life, and they'll confess you before men, and they'll chase after you and follow after your commandments. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings you give this ministry. Lord, it's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.